Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatments. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any host or guest individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Hello, everyone. This is Marianne Russo. I'd like to start off by thanking our sponsor for tonight's show, Mayor Johnson. With every child, there is a solution. Explore a variety of educational solutions at mayorjohnson.com, and you can save 20% by using their promo code SOLUTION20 at checkout. Mayor Johnson is your special education and board maker super source, so go over there, and they have an unbelievable website with fantastic resources. I am very happy to welcome you to the premiere of the Areva Martin Show. Tonight's topic is fantastic. With so many parents, special needs parents, blogging and sharing their journeys, Areva wondered, you know, are parents and educators aware of the legal implications and copyright laws surrounding blogging and, you know, other literary items? And I just loved it. So tonight, Areva and her guest will be giving you the answers that you need. And so now, I'll ask Ariva to take over the mic and tell you a little bit about what you can expect on the Ariva Show and introduce our guest. Ariva, welcome to the Coffee Clatch. Thank you, Marianne. I am so excited uh, about being a guest host on the Coffee Clatch. The work that you do is just amazing. All of the incredible information you provide to parents and educators and all of us in the disability community uh, just you know, can't say enough good things about you and the broadcast that you've been doing now for, for several years. But I'm just excited to be a guest host. And you're right, today is my premier show, and I thought it was, was just fitting to start with a topic that I get asked so many questions about, and that is, you know, what can we do with our blogs and our social media sites? So many in the special needs community, including myself, you know, write about our own kids. We write about our personal experiences. So I thought it would be fantastic to invite my good friend, uh, autism advocate, children's uh, literary author, and copyright attorney, Bonnie Berry Lamont, uh, to be my guest and to help clear up so many of the, the questions we have about, you know, how do we do it right? How do we do it legal? And how do we tell our stories? about our kids in a way that respects the privacy of our kids, 
but at the same time allow us as, as advocates to share with, you know, thousands, if not millions of advocates all around the country who are, you know, following us on Twitter and Facebook and reading our blogs. So welcome to my guest, a copyright attorney, author, advocate, Bonnie Barry Lamont. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you two of you to discuss this very important topic. So let's just jump right in, Bonnie. You know, uh, many of the listeners will know that, that I wrote a book two years ago, The Everyday Advocate, and it's about advocacy, and I start the book talking about my son, Marty, because Marty's on the autism spectrum, and he has been a great source of inspiration for me in terms of the speaking that I do, the uh, nonprofit that I run, Special Needs Network, and all the work that I do in the autism and disability community really was inspired by Marty. So I talk about Marty a great deal, and I start the Everyday Advocate by sharing more Marty's story, how he was diagnosed, and you know what some of our challenges as a family were in terms of trying to get him the best resources. And, you know, in my journey as a special needs advocate and as a lawyer, I see that so many parents of special needs kids are blogging and they're using, you know, technology and the Internet to share their stories. You have any, you know, why do you think special needs parents like me are so fascinated with social media? Well, I mean, it is definitely something that's, you know, that it allows, uh, you know, I also have a chat on the spectrum, and it allows us to connect with others who have similar concerns. There is there's the, the teachable moment. There's the, uh, it's humanizing the face of, you know, of uh, children with special needs. Um, and truthfully, for many parents, it is cathartic. Um, to 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 write a story about a um, challenge that they've um, experienced, and then to have commentators, you know, come back and say, "Oh, I have that same problem." It makes the world. When sometimes you feel very isolated and alone with, you know, the experience, it makes the world seem smaller. Bringing people from all over, they're not limited to your own, you know, immediate community. Um, I think that's what I mean. That. Truthfully, for 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 social media, that that you know applies across the board, special needs or not. But given that having you know children with special needs can in itself be very insular, the sense of a immediate community that understands, that relates, that you know uh, also can. Um, you know, and, and and for that person who has been perhaps been their child's just been diagnosed or something, then they in finding these blogs find people who are like them, and that gives them comfort right. too. So it kind of goes both ways. It allows the the blogger to have an experience that helps you know he or she connect with other people, and it allows people looking to connect. Um, you know, so there are a lot of positives to it. It's really about protecting your children and recognizing the issues that, you know, happen when you um, put information out in the well, Internet. Well, let me stop you right there, Bonnie, because one of the things I want to do with the Ariva Martin Show and why I agreed to be a guest host is because I wanted to tackle some of the legal issues. You know, my background, I'm a Harvard-trained attorney, and I do legal commentating on a variety of national television shows, and I work a lot in the media. And I wanted to share my legal expertise, and I wanted to share my experiences as an advocate and as a mom of a special needs child. And I want people to take away from this show some practical advice. You know, I want them to leave saying, wow, 
you know, that's something I hadn't considered. And I'm glad that I learned, you know, X or Y by listening to the show and, and to make sure that parents find this to be a great resource. So when I think of this topic, you know, I, I automatically thought of you. You know, you're also a Harvard-trained lawyer, entertainment attorney, literary attorney, have been at this, you know, for, you know, Two decades now. And, and so when you use the word protect or we have to be sure we're protecting our kids, you know, what are some of the key? Can you know, tell, tell me and the audience, the listeners, two or three things that we need to be concerned about if we are going to blog or share information about our child online? Well, okay, well, let's take a step back and let's think about in terms of there are federal laws that have already been enacted to protect our children from commercial exploitation on uh, the Internet. And so COPA is a law that's been around for, I think, since 1998, and it is specifically designed to protect children under the age of 13 from websites that are operated for a commercial purpose. So such things... So what do you mean when you say protect them? What is this law? I'm about to say. So in that is that that COPA restricts any website, you know, uh, provider from... There are some exceptions, but I'm... Speaking generally, from like having you know, these are directed to kids themselves. But the and, and I'm just giving this as background because it's going to lend to the issue that I, I think is where we as parents sometimes lose sight is that we're very aware that you know, like say apps that you know a, a kid's app may be trying to gather photos, videos, the push for like geographical location, and we don't want people. We know as parents we don't want you know. Uh, other people to have that kind of information about our children. But what right. happens, unfortunately, and that's where, so like I said, COPA is designed to protect children from those kind of things. They can, the websites cannot get that without getting parental consent. The irony is oftentimes that we as parents, then when we go create our blogs, is we may be aware of privacy issues when it's a third party, but we forget them when it's ourselves, because it's our child, we're creating a blog not realizing that we are, you know, um, running our child's privacy rights. You know, we are exploiting them, not for commercial gain. Let me ask you this, and, and, you know, as common as this may be a question for lawyers, but for non-lawyers, I think it's important to state this. Do children have rights to privacy? You know, are they protected by the Constitution you know, and other laws the same way as adults when it comes to their privacy. Well, they certainly have, yes, they they definitely have rights of privacy, but in many ways children's privacy rights because they're the representative of the child is the parent. So their their privacy rights are protectable, but it is their parents who stand, in most instances, who stand as the representative of their rights. It's their so what you're saying is, a child's rights to privacy can't be violated, say, by, you know, some retailer that maybe wants to exploit that child's picture. But if I'm the parent of that child, I can take that picture and just post it all over the Internet because I am the representative of the child. Is, is that what the law allows That is basically, in, yeah, I mean, it's for children under 13, I mean, unless you have an emancipated minor for whatever reason, the law presumes that the parents are respond that the parents have the consensual rights guarded governing their children's privacy. Now, that brings me to a really interesting question because so many of these blogs that I've read and that I see on a regular basis, they're blogging about teenagers who are, 
you know, 16, 17 years old, and they're getting very close to becoming adults, you know, 18 mm-hmm. years old. Kids can vote. They have, you know, rights as an adult. And some of these kids with interventions, you know, are going to be going off to college. They're going to be looking for jobs. They're going to be, you know, entering into relationships. So, you know, do we need to be concerned that we, you know, catalog this child's entire life on a blog site and, you know, we told about maybe tantrums or medications or other issues a child may have encountered as a child on, you know, a, the spectrum or a child with special needs. And now they're going to go out into the world and there's this big old footprint, you know, that isn't there for your typical child, you know, who, hadn't had, who hasn't had those challenges. That's a little scary to me. It's it, and it should be. So if you look at it, there are certain there, there are you know obviously common law toward actions against people for violation of privacy. But if you think in terms of federal law that governs minors, we have FERPA, which is the Family Education Right and Privacy Act, right? And that typically applies to education records, and it's a definite. And the definition of education records is very broad, but it does not automatically apply to medical records. So potentially an educational record you might have, you know, stuff that's medical and therefore FERPA would cover it. The thing about FERPA is it's really clear is the parents have the parents are the ones who enforce the FERPA rights and they don't transfer to the minor when it's eighteen. So in your case when you're talking about blogging about a sixteen year old, then an unemancipated sixteen year old, you know, does not have rights under FERPA. Similarly, under HIPAA, there are certain rights, you know, where a parent can agree to. HIPAA is the one that is a medical uh, privacy. Um, there is certain instances where the parent can agree that the minor can restrain the parent from having, you know, access to the records. But there really isn't a law that says parents, that the child can stop the parents from putting the information out. So the parents have to be diligent in thinking about protecting their children from even themselves. Let me move on. I want to talk about something that I know all of the bloggers that are listening to this have encountered. You know, you're writing a story about something, maybe about your child, a medical appointment, you know, something that your child has accomplished, and you say, my goodness, this would be so incredible if I had a great image to post with you know, my 500-word essay, and you go out into the, you know, Internet world and you find the perfect photograph. You didn't take this photograph. You don't purchase it, but you download it, and you post it on your blog with your, you know, 500-word essay. Can you do that legally? Well, there's some, legally it depends so much on what the terms of service were on that blog on that wherever you found it and you downloaded it from um so perhaps legally do you have the right just automatically anywhere absolutely not because that picture that image is owned by someone whether it's owned in that context by the person who uploaded it by the the search engine that distributes it you know because again it always comes back to these terms of service who is it that says if you put it up on the internet then now if you use my, you know, search um, engine to distribute it, then then that search engine now has an ownership interest in it or at least has a license to let other people use it. So um, it may be that, yes, you can use it because where you got it from, that person has already granted a general license to let anybody use it. But how On the other hand, there's some that restrain 
how the how you know how does the lay person you know the non techie person the mom that's sitting at home that's just writing her story and sees this great photograph and wants to use it you know how does she know whether you know the, the person who owns this photograph has granted this general license that you're talking about. Well, she doesn't know unless she does research. So the thing is, is that how many times have you gone to a website and you've seen at the bottom that you could click here for the terms of service? You've probably seen that line a million times. How many times have you opened it? Probably not very many. Not many at all, right? That's but but in 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 essence, that's where the information is as to what you so what can and cannot do. If you want to be safe and you want to do it the legal way, before you grab that photo, you should go to that website's terms of service and read it. Read the fine yes. print. Yes, because it works both ways. It tells you what you should put up there, too. You you know okay. when you use something, when you decide that you want to use Twitter, you know that Twitter now is saying that the, under their terms and services, they have the right to to use, exploit, you know, you know distribute your picture. So, so you can't and that's eat. interesting. Let me stop you there because that's another interesting point. So, if I'm tweeting, which you know I do a lot under you know at Ariva Martin, I'm tweeting all the time, and I'm often tweeting pictures that I take on my phone or t- pictures from Instagram. You're telling me that I need to check the Twitter terms of service to find out that basically they're saying anything you post on Twitter they, they own? Is that essentially what these that, sites tell you? I actually, actually, yes. I'll give you in a nutshell what the terms of service can change. You know, they can change their terms of service any day. But as of right this minute, TwitPick, which is the, 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 uh, the, the engine you use in order to upload, basically says that you grant it a worldwide, non-exclusive, royalty-free, sub-licensable, and transferable license to use whatever you put up there. They can reproduce it. They can create a derivative work from it. They can perform okay, it. They I can do stop you again. all kinds of stuff. I tweet a picture of my 10-year-old child, I am giving unfettered use to this search engine to reproduce this picture without paying me a dime. Absolutely. That, that right now are the, the as of this moment, those are the terms of service on TwitPick. And most of us mm-hmm. don't know these things, so we think we own the picture, which we do, but we've now given this license to others to use it however they so choose. Okay, now I've got to ask a follow-up to that is I tweet it. I understand the search engine now owns it. They can do what they want to do with it. Let's say another blogger across the country sees that picture and they like it and they now want to use it. Can they grab that picture and use it themselves? I know I've given Twitter the right to do so by tweeting, but have I also given that right to a you know a blogger in Arizona or a blogger in Texas to use it? Um, you know how Twitter has retweet. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Basically, Twitter. You know, if you get if you get deep into Twitter, and we don't need to spend a lot of time. I just brought that one up because I know you do use it a lot as an example of of you know how you know we often are not aware of right. the implication of of what we're doing, um, or what's possibly what we're doing is that 
the retweet concept is because in those terms of service, Twitter is actually allowing others to use it. They're not saying that they have to get paid for someone else using it. They're saying it can be grabbed. And rather than and rather than ever have a risk of somebody coming back to Twitter saying that this other party used it without permission, they are acknowledging that their stuff might be retweeted used in some other format. So essentially, yes, the blogger in Arizona, the blogger in Texas can take my picture that I've tweeted and post it on their blog site, and they owe me no money, no royalties. They they need not contact me at all. They just have an unfettered right to use that picture. Well, as I said, it's an interesting thing. It's probably if you think of it as coming from Twitter. If you think of it as coming from Twitter, and that's where they say they got it from, then you have you have you have the Twitter terms of services, which create a problem for you. You know, obviously, oh. if you took that same picture and it was on your own, and this is the difference. Let's say if it was on your own website, and you own your website. You know, you own your domain name. You are the you you host it. They can't do it because you own you okay. own just the so content. You own everything. Grabbed, so essentially, you're telling folks, or the law says to people, if you want to use these pictures, go to a website like a Twitter. And again, this isn't a, you know a primer on Twitter, but go to one of these bigger search engine sites because the terms of services for those sites give greater access than perhaps your individual site will give. Yes, or I'm saying I'm saying more more I'm saying don't put your don't put your own stuff on Twitter if you don't if you aren't unwilling I don't want people grabbing to it. be able to grab it. That's proprietary to me, keep it on my own site and then make sure the terms and service of my own site make it clear that you can't grab pictures or images or information off my site without my permission. Right. And that's really an important point because I know also a lot of our mommy bloggers, our, our parents who are blogging, they also own and they created their own websites. They're easier than ever to do. You know, five years ago you'd have to pay, you know, thousands of dollars to get a, a professionally done website. But now, you know, there's so many software packages out there or applications that allow you to, again, you know, sit at your, your kitchen table and create your own website. So one thing I want the listeners to be uh, cognizant of or aware of is that, you know, you want to make sure the terms and services of your own website protect the images and pictures and content that you put on your own website. And if you don't want folks grabbing it, you better say it in those terms uh, and service conditions. But let's talk a little about oh, some of the negative things that happen, you know, as much as we share positive stories on the Internet, we also know that oftentimes negative stories go viral. And I've had people contact me and say, you know, Areva, someone is posting vicious rumors, lies, misrepresentations about me, you know, on their Facebook page or they're tweeting, you know, this this negative information. What can I do to, to get rid of it, to take it down, to force them to take it down? What, what kind of rights do we have? You know, if we, again, as parents are out there blogging and you know, we're trying to spread positive and, and, and good in the world and someone else is out there using, you know, the Internet for other purposes. What what rights do we have? Well, there's, you know, there are certain uh, uh, causes of action we have where we could, you know, uh, sue people when our when our privacy is violated and our privacy is violated for different reasons. So let's say our privacy is, is the, uh, violated, what you're just describing is to say a false light. 
right? And that's where someone has made a publication that is false, you know, um, or perhaps it's not technically false but is misleading and is pre- presenting them in what we call, an, you know, a negative way. Um, and, you know, unfortunately when, when, when that's done, that may, uh, you know, cause the person who is the, is the victim of false light the, you know, mental anguish or emotional distress, you know. And so those are causes of action where, you know, if you want someone to take it down uh, to... Uh, but every time we want to get something taken off a website, are you saying we have to file some big complicated lawsuit? Well, no, you can. I mean, you can you can send a letter requesting that they take it down. A cease and desist letter is typically, you know, what it's called, saying basically saying, you know, you what what you are saying, you know, is in violation, you know, of the law. It's it is a false light or it's defamation or whatever, and you know, you know, you're being requested to uh, cease and desist with this particular publication and take it off, you know, as soon as po- by a certain date, or you might then be threatening to file a lawsuit. And you raise a good point, Bonnie. I, you know, I'm taking my brain now way back to law school and my constitutional law class, and you know, defamation and slander and libel and, and some of those causes of action that you know were harmful to a person's reputation. And from what I can remember, there was always this distinction between public figures and private individuals. But it seems to me now, you know, we have people who ordinarily would have been considered private citizens. But they've taken on this public persona because they have, you know, 250,000 followers on uh, Twitter or they, you know, have 250,000 fans on Facebook or some of these other sites where, you know, you, you actually have subscribers. Are these people now, because of their social media largeness, have they become, you know, public figures in the, you know, the, the, the sense that we think of uh, a movie star or you know, a highly rated political figure. Um, it's a you know, there's a it's a high threshold of public activity which is required to elevate you know somebody to public figure stature. So you know, a, a public figure, a fish figure like a you know a politician or something or someone who's well known in public affairs because they're an actor, or actress, or whatever. But you know, there's what what the law calls a limited public purpose figure, and that's person someone who's put themselves in the forefront in re- in regard to a particular issue. And I think the interesting thing is like Facebook and those kind of things is that public figures is yes, if you are constantly you know trying to raise your public profile, mm-hmm. then what you want, right? And and typically you're going to do it through these things of of. Uh, you're you're making some kind of public statements as opposed to let's say an actor or actress who's who's a public figure because of the work they do they become well known right yes. but you know there yeah, are but I'm people- talking about the person who again is out actively soliciting followers you know maybe they're they're feed, you know they're they're feeding content on the internet you know they talk about ways to increase your following is by constantly putting you know interesting content out you're engaging you know, other users of these Internet sites in conversation and discussion. So, yes, you may have half a million or, you know, a million followers, but, you know, you may not be on television or you may not hold a public office. But it sounds like you're saying you can become a limited public figure if you're engaging in activities designed to, you know, give you popularity. 
Well, yes, think of it this way. A uh, public figure in, in you know, if you're thinking back to law school, public figure is a term that we're using typically in the context of a defamation action because or, you know, or invasion of privacy because we're saying that public figures, you know, are not held to the same standard to say as 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 private individuals. So if you've chosen by virtue of your, you know, million Twitter followers because you are, you know, taking a position uh about something and are being followed, then I think, yeah, in this day and age you are effectively a public figure. Um, and the but the only, I but, but I, I want to be clear that the reason why the definition would be coming up is because that person presumably is then trying to to is you know perhaps it's a it's a it's a defense by you know in a in a in a in a in a lawsuit or something and he's saying and that that person who has a million you know Twitter followers is saying um, you know I've been I've been defamed and the defense is saying. Uh, the standard is higher for you because you're a public figure, and here's the proof you're a public figure. And that's why I wanted to bring it up because I want, again, mommy bloggers and parents and others in the special needs community to know that just by the activity you engage in on the Internet, you could be creating a situation where you are a public figure at least right. for the purposes of a lawsuit, and you need to be careful because you can't always switch back and forth between, you know, one day I, I got my million followers and I'm a public figure, and then the next day, you know, oh, no, I'm just a poor mom or, you know, I'm just a parent raising a special needs child. So your activity, your level of activity, your level of engagement, you know, through social media can cause you to move into a different, you know, class right. and be seen differently. So I think that's Right. Important. That's where you probably would definitely fall into the limited purpose public figure. And let's talk a little about, I know a lot of your work at uh, your practice, your entertainment law firm, is around, you know, protecting, you know, copyright and trademarks and helping, you know, artists who are creating songs and, you know, creating ideas for television shows and movies. And one of the things, again, I see happening in the special needs community is that parents, you know, are posting, again, on social media sites, incredible videos of songs that their kids have written and they're performing or they're, you know, posting poems or other literary works, you know, what parents need to be aware of in terms of, again, putting that kind of creative work, you know, on social media sites? How do they protect, you know, those creative uh, products that their kids are creating or maybe they're creating them? You know, what protections do they need to, to take to make sure that someone's not just, you know, ripping them off? Again, it goes back to what we were talking about. So generally, no copyright uh, ownership has been transferred just by uh, uploading it. Um, so your child who's written the song, uh, you who shot the video, uh, you own the you own, you own the video. Your child owns the the, the underlying song that, that that he or she performed. But once you put it out there. It's a question of how you control how it is exploited in the future, and so I mean, and whether your child, a child with special needs or whatever, this this creation has a potential commercial value, and when you put anything out there and you're making it so that people may have access to it without having to purchase it, then you are unfortunately you are you know, minimizing potential value of this, you know, creative work. 
Um, but, Bonnie, what I hear all the time from, you know, startup artists, be it, like you said, a rap artist or a country artist or R&B, you know, they're, they're, they're thinking if they can get a YouTube video out, you know, on the Internet and can get, you know, 500,000 hits, 500,000 people to watch it, you know, they can march into Sony and demand a record deal. But are you saying that they need to be careful about, you know, putting that video out into the universe? Well, I'm saying think about what your purpose is, because if your purpose is, is to is to if your purpose for showing your child's performance is not because you ever intended to your child intended to become, you know, a a songwriter artist, but because you're sharing that, you know, the the amazing talent that your child has and you just want people, be it on a private blog that only your friends and family have access to or on a public blog that, you know, anyone who's, you know, doing a search on on the website may possibly, you know, come across. If you share if that's your purpose, then you recognize that you're not trying to protect that commercial um exploitation of it. But come on, if, with the advent of reality TV and so many folks, you know, doing things, let's be real, let's keep it honest here, doing things online just to, you know, be provocative, just to be controversial, you know, to get the attention of someone that might give them a platform via a television show or, you know, a record deal or something, I can't help but believe that a lot of stuff that we see being posted is not just about sharing but it is about capturing the attention of producers and, you know, uh, writers and directors or folks who have the ability to platform you. So, Absolutely. So then, so then that particular, that what you're sharing is the one that you're sharing for that purpose, you know, and you recognize and you just acknowledge that it's going out there because you want it to be seen. And once you, and the thing about the Internet is once you put it out there, it's not like you can bring it back. So, I mean, I you know, I could give you all kinds of examples about, you know, books and things that had a life on the Internet and, and maybe have been taken down, but in some other way they, you know, people can't access them. You know, um, I mean, and I say taken down because the person who who originally put it up that way achieved their purpose and they now have, you know, have a real book deal. A uh, real book deal meaning I say but like But so bottom eight. line, if I have a song, again, I'm going to stick to the the, the special needs parents, because that's the community we're speaking to, if my brilliant special needs child has written and performed a song, and I am, you know, I want to share it, but maybe in the back of my mind I'm thinking this would be great, you know, my child could be the next Adele or, you know, or whomever, should I put that in a YouTube video? And if I do, what should I do to make sure that that original song gets, you know, attributed to my child? Okay, so the original song, the song written 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 and performed by your child, the song written, that that writing is always owned by you. It's always owned by your child, regardless of whether or not you put it up. That, you know, someone may be able to play that video, you know, someone may be able to copy that video onto a CD, depending on how it's, you know, it's protected in that website, all kinds of things. But you have not transferred any ownership in the song. So if you put but it up on I YouTube. Prove? Let's say someone hears my child's song and now they go and record it and they, they run into Sony and beat me to it. How do I prove that that's my child's original work? Well, okay, so just in general copyright law, copyright vests at the time of the creation. 
And, you know, you can do the standard things, which is you can do the, you know, file a file, you know, in the copyright office, you know, send in a copy of your of your song on a recorded on a, you know, on a on a CD. You can write the lyrics down on a piece of paper. You can, you know, file it you know, you can even file now. You can file online. But the copyright itself, best even if you don't do any of that. So in terms of proving that someone took your um product, you would actually be trying to show when you created it versus when they created it. And in that sense, you know, the even the reality is that you've got it uploaded and you can say that the first day it was exhibited on the Internet was X date, then you know that your version was created at least before that day. Now, what that person who's trying to steal your copyright might say when they created it, then you're in the, you know, that's a separate argument that you can't prove um just by, uh, um, you know, saying, well, I put it up on this date. But the, 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 the standard for proving what's called copyright infringement is substantial similarity in access. So if access is you put it up on the Internet and substantial similarities, it's basically the same song, you know, now you have to prove that, that it was because they had the access to your song, not because just by some happenstance they wrote the same song. Okay, so, you know, bottom line here, parents who want to share their child's story, you know, special needs story, want, you know, for whatever reason, they want to end their own isolation, they want to connect with, you know, thousands of other parents, they want to educate and help other parents who may have similar experiences, or maybe even they want, you know, to get, land their child on, you know, American Idol or, you know, land a record deal or a book deal about their story, you know, bottom line, what do they need to know? You know, tell me two things that you would tell every parent to consider before they post anything online. Uh, this is if they they actually really do want, they're, they're, they're using the posting as a way of platforming their child. Yes. Well, I mean, and that's I think the first thing is obviously that which you put up is what you believe is going to achieve your purposes, and minimize you know your the exposure to that purpose only, meaning that you don't need to put the entire life story of your child surrounding that performance. Really, it's just a performance, and you know, and even even in terms of a pseudonym or something like that, because when you're really making a deal, you can you can you know expose give the give the real information but at that point if you're just trying to get a whole bunch of hits you know Justin Bieber style you know you can use a pseudonym you don't have to make it come back directly to to who your child is so the two things are know your purpose and limit what you expose as a to your child and and with that I, yeah. I just want to give my final thoughts uh, i think it's incredible that parents are breaking the silence and beginning to have a shared conversation about, you know, their special needs child and what it's like for both the child, the siblings, and the family. Because we know when we, you know, take off the veil, when we start to talk about these issues, it drives resources, it raises awareness, and we start to see more kids being diagnosed and kids getting intervention. So as an advocate, I, I couldn't be happier about what level of activity I see taking place and how the special needs community is jumping in 
as a mom and as a lawyer, I agree with you that knowing your purpose and limiting what you expose is so, so, so very important. And just consider, parents, you don't have to tell us your child's full name. You don't have to use actual images of your child. You don't have to share all of the real-life experiences to tell your story. You know, great directors and producers do it every day. You know, we, we go see a story about the life of some famous person, and they give us enough to tell us a compelling story, but we don't see every aspect of that person's life. And I think we can do the same as we share about our kids on the Internet. We can share information that can inspire and motivate others while at the same time being mindful that our kids grow up Yeah, we want to give them every opportunity to thrive. We don't want to saddle them with, you know, anything. We don't want their, you know, Internet footprint to be so gigantic that it becomes a hurdle or obstacle to them. So just be mindful that what you put up is forever. It's permanent. You can't pull it back, as our guest has said. And your child deserves every opportunity to tell their own story and tell it how they want to tell it. So, Bonnie, you have been phenomenal. Thank you for sharing such incredible information. I know this is going to be, you know, terribly useful to the bloggers, to the writers, to the artists, to the, you know, parents who are sharing great information. Just tell us how any of our listeners can contact you if they have more questions about, you know, copyright laws, trade. We didn't even get into trademarks, but there's just so much. This is such a big, full topic. So if anyone wants to email you or connect with you on social media, how do they do that? Uh, B2 Lamont on Twitter. Uh, I'm sorry, BB, BB Lamont on Twitter. And also um, the B2L Entertainment Law page on Facebook. B2L Entertainment on Facebook. So please go and, and like the page. I'm sure it has tons of great resources and information. You can connect with Bonnie, again, a Harvard-trained uh, entertainment, copyright attorney, autism advocate, children's author, just a extraordinary mom, extraordinary professional. And I, I want to thank you again for taking time to share with, you know, our listeners on such an important topic. You know, we just can't have enough great information when we're talking about our kids and how to protect our kids. I want to thank the Coffee Clatch for bringing such incredible programming into the special needs community and to its uh, founder and president, Marianne Russo, continue, continue to be such an amazing advocate. And until my next show, this has been the Areva Martin Show. I've enjoyed uh, sharing this moment and this hour with you. Uh, come back uh, for more great topics on advocacy and intervention and special needs and, you know, great guests who inspire and motivate. Until next time, this is Areva Martin. Thank you so much for having me. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.